Good morning. We've been in this series uh, where we've been looking at the book of Psalms, and we saw that uh, Psalm 1 and 2 are kind of an introduction, and then the rest of the book of Psalms, there's a collection of five different books in the book of Psalms. There's one, two, three, four, five different sections, and then we're going to conclude today by looking at how it ends, because the last four uh, chapters in the book of Psalms stands out. It's kind of unique. All the others have to do with this sway between lament and praise. Lament and praise. Most of the Psalms have that lament and then praise in it. Lament is, woe is me. How did things happen like this? And how long, God, are you going to put up with my enemies overcoming me and putting fear in my heart? And then it goes into praise. But you're the great God and you can help me with these things. So we see this, uh, this shift between lament and praise all through the book of Psalms. But when we get to the last four books, or not the last four books, but the last four chapters, one, chapters 146 through 150, we see it is purely praise. There's no lament in it at all. No problems, no difficulties. It's as if we all go through life down here with lament and praise, lament and praise. Life is like that. There's problems, and then God brings a breakthrough. But when you get to the end, it's all breakthrough. It's all praise the Lord. So we're going to look at this by examining Psalm 150. That's what we're going to look at. And uh, it's the last chapter in the book of Psalms. It's pretty short. It's just six verses long. But it's loaded, and I'm going to attempt to uh, unpack it for us. Let's just read through Psalm 150 together. And I'm reading out of the New International Version. Uh, All the other versions will say something similar. Praise the Lord. Let me comment on that because that is the the Hebrew word hallelujah. We all know that word, don't we? Hallelujah. It means praise ye the Lord. Praise ye the Lord. You. You're the one who's supposed to be praising the Lord. Praise you the Lord. But they leave it out here in the NIV because it's kind of implied. Praise the Lord, and it it implies that you should be doing it. But it doesn't say that. But hallelujah is hallow, praise, ooh, which is the plural of you, yah, which is Yahweh, God. Praise ye the Lord. Going on, it says, praise God in his sanctuary. Praise him in his mighty heavens. Praise Him for His acts of power. Praise Him for His surpassing greatness. Praise Him with the sounding of the trumpet. Praise Him with the harp and the lyre. Praise Him with the timbrel and dancing. Praise Him with the strings and pipe. Praise Him with the clash of cymbals. Praise Him with the resounding cymbals. Let everything that has breath praise the Lord. Praise the Lord. That's Psalm 150. That's how he wraps it up. I don't think this is old-fashioned. I think this is speaking to us today. He's telling us we should be praising the Lord. So he tells us where we should praise the Lord, how we should praise the Lord. This, this chapter is kind of loaded with praise. Do you know what praise is? Praise is when your kids do something good. So you praise them. Or when you want your dog to obey you, so you praise him. Praise is to say something good. 
Stop and think about it. When's the last time you said something good about God out loud? That's what praise is. And it's, well, let's just get into the, uh, the first point. We're, we're called to be overcomers, church. And uh, I've got six things, and I, I went overtime last service, so I, got, I know what I have to do to condense it here a little bit. Here's the first thing I want us to see about praise. And I'm calling this praise palooza. And I wasn't sure about the word palooza. I thought that sounds like a celebration to me, but I better look that word up because I could get myself in real trouble if it's, if it's a bad word. So I looked it up, and it's exactly what I thought. It means to celebrate, big hullabaloo, praise. And that's what this is all about. Verse, verse 1, he says, praise him in the sanctuary. So if you want to take notes, here's the first thing. Praise looks like community. Yes. What's sanctuary? Sanctuary is a place where we all come together. It's, uh, it's another form of the word sanctify, which means holy. This is a holy place. Holy people come in here. Yes, I understand people bring their baggage in here. I understand people bring their demons in here sometimes. We're supposed to be ministering to them. We're supposed to be casting those demons out. We're supposed to be liberating people. So we shouldn't be afraid of dysfunctional people bringing their baggage in here and their problems. That should excite us. This is a holy place. This is a place where God shows up. How do I know? Because the Bible says the Holy Spirit lives inside of me. So any place I go, the Holy Spirit is there. So God, the Holy Spirit, the Spirit of God has showed up here this morning because I'm here. But the good news is he's also inside of you. And wherever every believer goes, the Holy Spirit goes there with them. So there's no place to ever be afraid because God's right there by my side. He's my, he's, he's my partner. I almost said he's my sidekick, but I'm his sidekick. <laughs> Can't say that. It's where God's people gather. And God's people look different. Have you noticed that? Have you noticed there's no two cars alike in the parking lot? It would be accident if there was. Because we all have different opinions. When we go looking for a vehicle, we have different amounts of money. We have different tastes. We pick out what we like It's as an extension of us because we're going to be living in that thing for a while. But we're all different. If you look around in here, we're different people, different ages, come from different cultures. Different country, ethnic groups represented here. This is what we need. This, is, this cross-pollination makes us better. Yep. Some churches all want to look the same. And they kind of reject anybody that looks like an outsider. But what makes us healthy as a church is cross-pollinating with people who are different than us who voted differently than we did in the last election. People who think differently about the news we watch on television. That's cross-pollination, and the body of Christ doesn't look like one thing. It's a blend. God is so good. So we need it. We are the body of Christ. And if we keep dividing ourselves 
so that this kind of people go to that church and this kind of people go to the other church and this kind of people go to the church over there. We're doing nothing but cutting up the body of Christ and weakening its power. God help us stay united. Amen. So praise looks like community. Here's the second thing. At, at, at the end of verse 1, it says, praise him in his mighty heavens. You know what the heavens are? That's where, that's where God dwells. Praise him up there. You're not there yet. But he hears what you say from the sanctuary. We're down here in the sanctuary. We come together because we want to worship God. We want to learn about him. We, we want to experience him. We want to hear him say something to us. But the truth of the matter is, when we come in here, we bring a lot of our own personal identity in here. And some of us are bringing some of our own opinions and baggage from our past into this house. Because we're humans living on planet Earth. This is a fallen planet. It's not supposed to look like heaven. We're supposed to look like heaven. We're supposed to be different than the rest of the world. We are supposed to be sticking out, I don't want to say like a sore thumb, but we're supposed to look different than the rest of the world. So, I like the way the King James Version translates this better. Praise him in the firmament of his power. What is firmament? Think about it. What do you think a firmament is? The root word is firm. It's a a sure thing. The firmament of his power. It's a sure thing. God's power is a sure thing. But where is it? Where do you see it? It's up in the heavens. We can look up in the sky and we see nothing up there. Firmament. Firmament is a firm thing. We're talking about your faith. Your faith in God is a sure thing. Makes him a sure thing. Everybody else thinks God's a big mystery. Nobody can understand him anyway. But you know better, don't you? That's firm. That's a firm thing. Your faith is a firm thing that God will never let you down. He's always going to be there for you. That's confidence. So the first thing I want us to see is praise looks like community. Secondly, praise looks like confidence being a sure thing. We come to praise and worship God in the sanctuary down here with our weaknesses and our frailties. But we praise him in the mighty heavens, which is a firmament. There is no weakness up there. There's no difficulties up there. Now, I confess I got some problems in my, in, in my life now. Don't ask me what they are. I'll, I'll lie to you. <laughs> but I know me. And you know you. And we all recognize there's no perfect people here. But when we get to heaven, what happens to all these weaknesses and failures? There's a transition that takes place between this life here and that life up there. I've been born again, filled with the Spirit. But when I leave this life and I go to the next, there is a transition that takes place. Because God's not going to let any of my hang-ups get into heaven. All right, back to my notes so I know where I'm going. So, if we come into this house 
with our difficulties and hang-ups. This is, this is the sanctuary. We praise him in the mighty heavens, in the firmament of his power. In other words, get your eyes off your problems. Get your eyes off your difficulties. Get your eyes off your past. Get your eyes off things that don't help you. Get your eyes on him. Praise helps you get your eyes off yourself. Praising him helps you get your eyes off your difficulties. We need to praise him. Get out of ourselves and praise him. Praise looks like confidence. Here's the third thing. Praise looks like a celebration. Verse 2 says, praise him for his acts of power. Acts of power. When God steps in and changes things, praise him for that. If God's ever answered a prayer in your life, did you praise him for it? Did you stop praising him for it? Because your life's different because of what he did back then. Should we stop praising him because he's, he's yeah. not doing it on day two, three, four, and five? Come on. The Philippian jailer was charged with keeping Paul and Silas secure in prison. So he put them in there, put them in stocks, put them under chains, locked the door, and went to bed. His job was to keep them safe. And he was keeping them secure. They can't sleep because they've been flogged the night before. Their backs are aching, sore, and they decide to praise God. Is that what you do when Satan's just worked you over? These guys knew how to praise God. They praised God for who he was. I'd be kind of mad at God for letting that happen. God, all I did was try to serve you and look, look the mess I'm in. But they praised God because of who he was. And as they praised him, things began to happen. An earthquake came, rattled those doors, and the doors came open, and the, the, the chains fell off their wrists and their feet, and they were free and liberated. And not only were they free, but it spilled over onto the Philippian jailer. And he came out ready to kill himself because he thought everybody escaped. But with just a few words from Paul, he had been converted. Yes. Life was changed from that point on. He had had an encounter with God Amen. that changed his life. Celebration, or yeah, celebration demands joy. You can't, you can't celebrate mourning. You're going to celebrate, you've got to add some joy. In Luke, I think it's chapter 15, maybe 14, but I think it's 15. There's three consecutive parables. One is the parable of the lost sheep. Second is the parable of the lost coin. Third is the parable of the lost son, or we call it the story of the prodigal son. In each of those three, somebody had something valuable to them that they lost. In each of those three, they all did everything they could to find what they lost. They wanted to get it back again. And in each of those three stories, they all found what they lost and threw a party and invited all their neighbors in to celebrate because what they lost was found again. Once was lost, now is found. It's a celebration. When you lost something in your life and the Lord helped you find that and get that thing back, that's time for a party. That's time for a celebration. And it spills over to others. You invite others to come in and celebrate with you. It's such good news. 
When Jesus entered into Jerusalem in that day that we call the triumphal entry, when he went into town, when he was going into town, the people came out and they recognized him as the king. And they began singing, they began crying out, throwing down palm branches, putting their clothing down in front of him. They began singing out a phrase that was messianic. This, when Messiah comes back, this is what people are going to say. And they began saying that to Jesus. And he didn't stop them. And the religious people in the crowd went to him and they said, Master, Master, tell your disciples not to say that. And Jesus said, if they don't say it, the stones will cry out. If people don't praise God, the rocks will cry out. Isn't it interesting that some people are just dumber than a box of rocks? (laughs) Because they will not praise God. The most awesome miracle of all is when God looks down on this earth and he sees a man or a woman whose heart is cold as ice. A man or a woman who's all absorbed into themselves and what they're going to get and how they're going to survive in life. And God reaches down and touches that hard-hearted man or woman and changes their heart. And they have a desire to serve God. And they walk away from their old lifestyle and walk into a new lifestyle. That's a miracle of God when he touches a heart on the inside. So that is something we should celebrate. Every time somebody changes their heart, even if it's the 15th time they're changing their heart, that's something to celebrate. So praise looks like a celebration. Here's number four. Praise looks like crossing all boundaries. Want us to look at verse two. He says, praise him for his acts of power, which we just talked about, and praise him for his surpassing greatness. What does surpass mean? It means beyond. He's going over, crossing the boundaries, going further than you can go. It looks like crossing all boundaries. I guess I would say it's over the top. God is just over the top. It's like having a cup that's running over, surpassing full. Jesus walked on water, fed the multitudes, I mean like thousands of people at a time, 4,000 once, 5,000 another time. Twice he did this, recorded. He raised the dead, turned water to wine. There were no limitations or boundaries. He just crossed right over them. And the Spirit of Jesus Christ lives inside of you and me. I need to keep reminding myself of that because I keep looking at my problems and I keep looking at my difficulties and it robs my faith. And God wants to build my faith. If If my problems and difficulties are like a mountain, Jesus said, if you have faith, 
the size of mustard seed. You can speak to this mountain, be cast into the sea, and it'll be cast into the sea. If all my difficulties and problems are like the sea, and I can't get across, Jesus walked on the water, and all you have to do is trust God to part the waters. And you can cross to the other side. Praise looks like crossing all boundaries. We praise God because there's nothing he cannot do. Nothing is impossible with God. That's praising him. We need to confess it. We need to speak it out. We need to declare it. Otherwise, we're going to stay right where we are. I don't want to stay where I am. I want to keep moving on. Let's go to the fifth thing we learn. This is... uh, found in verses 3 through 5, and this is, this is what I think is really exciting. It says, Praise Him with the sounding of the trumpet. Praise Him with the harp and lyre. Praise Him with the timbrel and dancing. Praise Him with the strings and pipe. Praise Him with the clash of cymbals. Praise Him with the resounding cymbals. Let everything that has breath praise the Lord. Did you notice that list of instruments he gave us? I want you to know that those are noisemakers. <laughs> the sound of the trumpet. That's supposed to wake everybody up. Nobody's going to fall asleep in this church. Actually, the trumpet, just so you know, is not a brass instrument. It's the shofar. It's that ram's horn. It's designed to make a whole lot of noise that travels a long way. There are a couple different purposes or times when they would uh, sound the shofar, blast it, make that noise. One of those times was when you would call a public assembly. When everybody comes together, they would sound the shofar. Kind of like in our culture, or at least... 50 years ago culture, it would ring the church bell every Sunday morning. That's a a sign. Church is about to begin. Everybody in town, come. Don't do those church bells too much anymore. But the shofar was designed to say, okay, this is the time to come together. We're going to praise the Lord together. And it was required to sound the shofar, the trumpet. Second on the list was the harp and lyre. We got a couple visuals up here so that you know what a harp and lyre back then looked like. The one on the left there is the harp. It's kind of similar to a harp today, except the harp today's got a whole lot more strings than that. And on the right is the lyre. Now, we don't have this kind of instrument today, at least I haven't seen one in a long time. But it's basically the same principle, just set up a little bit different the horseshoe with a cross member bar at the top. These are stringed instruments. People would learn how to set, set them, tune them at the right tension, and then they would strum them with their hands to make different sounds, similar to a, a guitar or a stringed instrument, actually a, a piano, not an electronic piano, but the old kind of piano has strings in it. And when you hit that, you'd hit the, hit the key. There would be a hammer in there that would hit the string and set it at a certain pitch, and you'd have this sound. These are stringed instruments. These aren't necessarily noise makers. Stringed instruments tend to be more mellow sound. A guitar, 
basically is more of a mellow sound until you get into the electronic sounds and you do all kinds of stuff with that to create sounds. Now the third one I want us to see, the next one is a timbrel. We have a picture of a timbrel up here we'll put up so you, you can see. We'd call it a tambourine. One source I was reading uh, said that it did not have the, uh, the animal skin on it, that where you could beat like a, like a drum. It just the ring, just the ring with the little cymbals on it. It's a percussion instrument. You set the beat with that. You set the tone uh, of what you're doing with that. Then right in the middle of this list of musical instruments, he says the dance. Now the dance isn't a musical instrument. To do the dance, you can't go to the music store and buy an instrument. You got to do something. You got to move your feet a little bit. There's got to be some expression of our praise to God. There's different kinds of dancing. He's not talking about what I, what I, I often call the North American mating ritual. I'm talking about that kind of dance. We're talking about some happy feet dance. We're talking about some celebration dance. If you're excited about something, how can you stand there like you're not? We ought to be able to do something. And if you don't have feet, try out the hand jive. Do something to express it. Next one, he talks about strings and pipe. Now, we already talked about the strings, but a pipe, you know what a pipe is? It's a pipe. Actually, the Hebrew word translated pipe literally means perforated. They would take a pipe or a reed, they would perforate it, put holes in it, and then blow into it and then control the sound with the, with the fingers like a flute. A noisemaker makes sounds, sounds that move our emotions, if you, if you know what you're doing. If you don't know what you're doing, moves our emotions the wrong way. <laughs> Here's the next thing, the clash of symbols. The clash of symbols. We know what a symbol is. It's those, it's those metal discs that you slam together. Uh, it's interesting, he uses the word clash. You know what clash means? It just kind of wakes you up. It's like the crescendo in the sound. Bang! Makes noise. Come on. My wife sometimes says, do not wear that tie with that shirt. They clash. <laughs> Bang! There's things that just don't go together. My wife knows what they are. (laughs) Paul said in the New Testament, if I have spiritual gifts, and I got all these spiritual gifts working, and and I speak in the tongues of men and angels that I don't understand, but I don't have love. I'm just a clanging cymbal. A clash. They don't go together. 
my spiritual gifts and what God wants to accomplish just don't fit. They clash because God wants love. He's more impressed with love than he is our spiritual gifts. As a matter of fact, spiritual gifts are here to help us demonstrate love to people. That's the purpose. And then the last one is resounding symbols. Resounding. I had, had to do some research on this because I didn't know the difference between the clash of symbols and resounding symbols. But I learned that a resounding, actually think about the word, resound. It means it fits. It's in tune with everything else. It makes a noise, but it's in tune. The clashing symbol is not in tune. It grates us. But a resounding symbol is in tune with everything else. We need to be a church that's in tune with everything else that God is doing. He's not looking for oddballs. He's looking for people that fit together like a, a football team. Everybody knows what the goal is to get that ball across the line, whatever it takes. Nobody's trying to be the hero. We're trying to get that ball across down there. So my, my point is, praise looks like a conspiracy. A conspiracy is when people work together to plot to do something. Come on. We typically think of a conspiracy as a negative thing. But the definition just means people plotting together to accomplish something. I want to be in a conspiracy with you against the world. All right, here's number six, last one. Praise looks like catching life. What's the last thing he says in 150? Let everything that has breath praise the Lord. None of those instruments we talked about has any breath. The flute won't work if somebody doesn't give it breath. Let everything that has breath, that's us. None of these instruments do. Our automobiles don't. Our furniture at home doesn't. Our appliances don't. What has breath is us. You know what the Greek word for breath? Breath is pneuma. We get, our work, we, we get our word pneumonia and pneumatic from it. It means air. Spirit means air. The breath of God. Yes. When the Holy Spirit comes inside of us, that's the breath of God coming in. And every now and then, you and I need to inhale again. We need to take a deep breath. Everybody take a deep breath right now. Doesn't that feel good? Every now and then we need to breathe him in. Breathe in the presence of God. Because we're constantly exhaling him out. So we need to inhale him in again. That's the breath of God. So if God wants us to take a breath, pneuma, spirit, breathe him in. What do you suppose the devil wants to do? He wants to keep us from breathing him in. He wants to give us hard times, difficulties, allow people to hurt us. 
so he can get us down. And once he's got us down, wants to put his knee on us and hold us there. And there comes a time when we just need to say, I can't breathe. And God says, take a breath. He wants us to breathe. The devil wants to hold us down. God wants to lift us up. We need to take a breath. Let everything that has breath praise the Lord. If you don't have breath, you're probably dead at the funeral home. But you got breath, so here you are. So what, is, what do we do? Take a breath. And when you have a breath, you can praise the Lord. God wants us to praise him. Things happen in the spiritual realm when we praise him. It doesn't do any good to go home and gripe and complain about how nobody shook your hand at the church. You need to go home and praise God that there is a church you can go to, that there are people out there who are serving him. In 1999, a lady by the name of Catherine Scott wrote a song that Faith Hill recorded, and it, it caught the church world. And the lyrics go like this. This is the air I breathe. This is the air I breathe. Your holy presence living in me. This is my daily bread. This is my daily bread. Your very word spoken to me. And I'm desperate for you. I'm lost Without you. You remember that song? Now you know a little bit about what it's talking about. You need the breath of God. I need the breath of God. I'm desperate for a word from God, for the the breath of God inside of me. I can't survive without it. Worship team's going to come up and they're going to lead us in a a final song here. It's a praise song, it's a chance for us to do something. Oh, you didn't bring your timbrel? You, you didn't bring your, your shofar? We have an opportunity to bring him something. Now, eventually, we'll put more seats back in this sanctuary and make room for more people. But in the meantime, you got lots of dance room right there. <laughs> Find a way to express it. Find a way to look like you're praising God. Let's stand together.